Reuben enticed King Ahab of Israel to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so he could be killed. There were many suggestions, and finally a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. How will you do this, the Lord asked. And the spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said the Lord. Go ahead and do it. All right, thank you. In our last Bible study, uh, we talked about, uh, we took it from 1 Kings 22, and uh, this gives us just a little bit more detail as to what had happened in 1 Kings 22 that we looked at last time. And uh, interesting part of Scripture because it gives uh, insight into something that takes place in a place that we don't normally see. Uh, it's in the heavenlies and in, in the spiritual realm. And Micaiah is a prophet and he has a vision and he sees something that's going on there. So he shares this vision and he's doing so so that he can explain what was going on. Uh, as we were talking about last time, the, these two kings, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, had gotten together. It was king of Judah, the king of Israel. And they had formed an alliance so they could go to battle against these other kings and they, they go to war, and and so they had called on the prophets to ask, you know, should we do this? And so Ahab called all the prophets of Israel together, 400 of them, and he asked, and they were all like, yeah, victory, victory, victory. And, and that they were all in agreement. And so Jehoshaphat, for some reason, asked Ahab, like, but is there another prophet? Is there somebody else? And Ahab said, well, there's one other guy, but he never says anything nice to me. He never says anything nice about me. And and he said, well, let's hear from him. So they call us this guy, Micaiah. They're reading about tonight. And so he, he comes out and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, victory, whatever everybody else said. And uh, and so Ahab's like, tell the truth. Don't don't lie. What do you really see? What do what you really want to say? And he told him what he wanted to say, that he'd be defeated and and that it wasn't a good idea to go up to battle. And just he disagreed with the 400 other people that were prophesying. So these verses here give us a little more insight as to uh, what had happened with the 400 prophets. And Micaiah was one prophet, one voice, something that he was speaking that he stood for and really no one else around him was standing for the same thing that he was. And so uh, we talked last week about some of that dynamic. And, and that was something that I, I really felt like it speaks to us and it speaks to the place where we're at. It speaks to uh, the time that we're in uh, of being someone that just you know what you know and you believe what you believe and you're going to say what you're going to say. And there might be a lot of people that are going to say something differently than what you say. And yet, you know, it's okay. We don't all have to agree. We don't all have to have the same thoughts on a matter. We don't all have to have the same ideas about something. Uh, we can disagree sometimes. We can, you know, have a different opinion. We can see things differently. We can have a different word than somebody else has. Uh, there's been times where... Even spiritually, I've been in positions where uh, I'm in. Uh, I used to be a part of a larger organization of churches, 
And I had a position in that organization where I sat on various committees, both nationally and statewide. And as part of my job there, we would discuss different things. We'd discuss ideas, we'd discuss plans, we'd discuss strategies, we'd discuss a lot of different things. And and uh, most of the time, I would be I would have been at the time one of the youngest people on one of these committees, and so my perspective was different than some of the older guys that were on some of these committees, some of these groups. And so I was in a position where either I could go along with everybody or I could say what I really thought. I could uh, just go with the flow, and that's what everybody wanted to hear. Or I could say, yeah, I really think that uh, maybe this is a, a, a different way that we might want to go with this. Uh, when I first moved to Syracuse, I, I moved here. I had taken a job at Henry's Chapel, and I was on a, a planning retreat with the other people that I worked with at the chapel. And again, I was one of the youngest there, and we, they were all discussing strategies for Hendricks Chapel to increase their presence on campus, visibility. Uh, we're looking ahead to opening week on campus and orientation and what follows first week of classes and how to do that. And so the the people I was, I was talking with, they were just they just wanted to do the same thing that they'd been doing. And my only point with that was, well if you want to increase your visibility or you want to increase your presence, you want to increase the number of students that actually know services that are available through what you're doing, then you probably want to do something different than what you've done in the past. And and you thought that I just suggested some horrible thing because it, it was like this big uproar about how, you know, their strategy and and how it's appropriate and all these other things. And, and I made a couple of suggestions about some of the things that they could do and, and I got the, oh, no, we could never do that. That's just not who we are. That's just not, it doesn't represent us as, as the chapel and all this other stuff. And so they made their decisions. They did what they were going to do. Now, I was there for 10 years. Uh, within the first seven years, and I'm not even kidding you, within the first seven years, after a certain amount of time, they completely adopted the thing that I said at that first meeting seven years before, but it took them about seven years to do it. And it just made me laugh because it's like, well, you know, because I'm not, I'm not pushing anything because I didn't have anything to really particularly gain through it or lose through it. I just observed it. And I thought it was kind of funny because sometimes it, we need to be the person that speaks. Sometimes we need to be the person that just says what we believe. Sometimes we need to be the person that takes a stand. Sometimes we need to be the person that is going to be honest about where we're at and what's going on with us. And in the day and age that we live in, that takes some courage. And I can only encourage you toward that. Because it does take some courage. Because we, we live in a society that people just, they want you to agree with them. People in power want you to agree with them. And sometimes we just don't. Sometimes we, we just don't. And, I, and I've taken to in conversations with people, and it really makes them mad, but I've taken them in conversations with people, they'll tell me what they believe, and I'll say, well, I just disagree with you. And I don't really have anything else to say about it. I just disagree. That's not my opinion, so I don't share that. I just want to be honest with you. I don't share that opinion, but 
That's all right. We don't have to agree. We can still be friends. We can still like each other even if we don't agree. Um, it was never a requirement in friendship that we agreed on everything ever, ever. So, and then I've taken to do that, uh, in, in, especially in the last year or so, because I just noticed that um, dissenting opinion is just being utterly, utterly, utterly rejected and discouraged. And and I'm sorry to say that that's just not who I am and that's not who we are as a people that I know of. You know, you know people can argue about anything they want to argue about and they try to make everything political or they try to make everything this or that or whatever their their pet project is. But a lot of times it comes down to something as simple as, you know what I believe in? Free speech. Is that terrible? Or... You know, you know what I believe in? Freedom, liberty. And that's okay. And so I exercise my right to disagree. And whether or not it matters anywhere else, it makes me feel better <laughs> about what I'm doing. It makes me feel better about the, the conversation I'm in or the relationship that I'm in where at least there's an honesty and an honest disagreement. And to just say, that's all. That's all. So Micaiah, he had an honest disagreement with 400 prophets. 400. And they all agreed on the same thing. Here's one guy. I don't agree with this. So, but he had had a vision. And there was something going on here. I mentioned this last week with Ahab and with Jehoshaphat getting together. Because there, there was something weird about that alliance. There was something weird about that relationship. Because Ahab, who was ruling the northern kingdom at the time, he was evil. He had his wife Jezebel. And they had led Israel into idol worship. They had led Israel away from God. They had led Israel into all of these evil practices and all these evil things. And for all intents and purposes, he was just an evil guy. And on the other hand, Jehoshaphat was... Not an evil guy. He was somebody that had preserved some of the uh, faith and some of the worship of God that was in Judah at the time. And he was somebody that God was speaking to and God was using in the land of Judah. And so you've got this really evil guy to the northern kingdom. You've got this guy that's really working for God in the southern kingdom. And all of a sudden they're getting together and that's kind of weird. Jehoshaphat had gone up to visit Ahab, and from what we understood, Ahab just had uh, just really showed him a good time. Like he killed some sheep, you know, and had a big feast for him, and and uh, there was just all of these things that he had done, uh, oxen, sheep, you know, big feast, big party, big plans, uh, big king stuff, you know what kings do when they get together, I guess, that's what they were doing. And and, Jehosh- and it was clear that Ahab was trying to uh, persuade. Uh, he was trying to uh, entice Jehoshaphat into entering an alliance because Ahab didn't have enough soldiers, didn't have enough equipment to take on the kings he wanted to take on. So he played nice with Jehoshaphat in order to get him to join him in his, his project to go after these other kings. And what I get from this 
is that we need to be careful about alliances, who we find ourselves aligned, you know, aligning ourselves with. Just to be careful with it. That's all I really have to say about it. Because the Bible talks about in the New Testament about how we yoke ourselves together with people. And by yoking ourselves, that, that draws up the picture of, of two oxen or more pulling a plow or pulling some kind of a cart behind them. How they get under the same yoke and they have to walk in unison, kind of walk in, in conjunction with one another in order to go about the job that they're, they're given to do. And so that's the picture we have. And so the New Testament talks about this. Well, be careful who you enter into that yoked relationship with. And most of the time we use that in relation to uh, getting together in, in the romantic relationships. Uh, that's how most people use that. And yet there's other relationships in our lives. There's friendships and there's work relationships and there's contractual relationships, partnerships that we enter in with people. And, and so we have that same warning. It's like, well, you should really be careful who you're entering into these types of relationships with because it, it matters. It just does. And, and if we're not careful with that, we may end up in a really, really, really bad situation. You know, one of the guys that, that, that I've worked for, a, he was entering into a contractual relationship with another guy that I used to work for. And the other guy that I used to work for is a cheater and a liar, and he steals money. And so the guy that I more recently have worked for, he's not a cheater and a liar, and he doesn't steal money. But... For whatever reasons, he was entering into a relationship to open up some kind of a gym or something with this other guy. And early on, he discovered the guy is a cheater and a liar and that he steals money. Thankfully, he figured that out. And so he, he ended the relationship. He said, all right, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, but he was talking to me about it afterwards. He's like, now, I can't imagine if those circumstances didn't arise where I was able to discover the true nature of this guy. You know, what would my life have been like if we'd have gone in and invested thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into a business together and I've got a guy that's lying and cheating and stealing from me the whole time? It matters. It matters. And so you want to be careful with that. Even though, you know, the reason he was entering into the relationship, you want to know why he was entering into the relationship with the guy? Because he wanted to make money. That's why. And there was a potential there for him to make money. And even though there might be some upside, there might be some crazy thing that could happen that seems like it would be the best or it would be really good, the bottom line is it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. In any of these relationships, it's just not. You know, well, I can change them. No, you, and I doubt it. You know, when I hear people say that, I just laugh to myself. Like, I'll just change them, you know. Yeah, you won't. You just think so, but it doesn't really work out that way. Well, I think this person really needs me. Yeah, they need your money to steal. Yeah, I get it. So, just be, be careful, because what was going on here, there was an alliance that was being formed here between Jehoshaphat and Ahab that just really wasn't anything positive. It wasn't anything good. And, and the Bible talks about not getting entangled. Um, somebody look at 2 Timothy 2.4. Timothy 
All right. And so there's a picture there. You know how I talk to you about the Bible is a bunch of word pictures? Well, there's a picture there. And the picture is a soldier. Now think about a Roman soldier, because that would be their reference point in the New Testament. It would be a Roman soldier. Now Roman soldiers often, you saw a movie Gladiator or something, right? Okay, so you're thinking about a Roman soldier, and they would wear uh, a lot of times a covering over their back, like a cape or something like that. I don't know if it's called a cape, but maybe Patrick knows. But I don't know what they're, you know, so they would have a cloak, some kind of a cape that would be over them. And if they weren't careful, they could go to reach for their sword, but the sword could be wrapped in the cloak. And so, they, or the cloak could be around their arm or, or whatever. And so the picture is a, a soldier going to reach for his weapon, but having everything all wrapped up and not being able to get to it. How dangerous is that? How frustrating is that? That's like those dreams you have, and maybe you don't have these, but I do, every now and then where I'm trying to run, but you can't run, like you keep falling down. Anybody ever have these dreams? Yeah, like it's just really frustrating, right? Like you're trying to run, but you can't run, and you're falling down, or you're tripping, or something's going on. I don't even know. It's just so frustrating anytime I have something like that. Well, that's the frustration. That's the idea behind this word picture is, Trying to reach for something, can't get to it. You're all tangled up in that cloak. You're all tangled up in what you're wearing. And, and you just can't get to it. And so the, the picture we have there is like, well, you don't want to get tangled up. You don't want to get all tangled up because then you can't get to what you need to get to. You can't do what you need to do. And it's just plain old frustrating when you find yourself in those situations. And so you want to avoid those situations from the start to keep yourself out of those kind of entanglements, to watch out for them, to, to put yourself in a better position where you're not falling into that. None of us are that strong where, you know, we can always just go to the brink of everything and then resist at the last second. Nobody's that strong. We're not that good. And so what happens is, is that if we don't have some kind of a plan beforehand to stay out of entanglements, we don't have some kind of plan beforehand to stay out of bad situations and bad circumstances with people and things that are, put us in bad positions, if we don't have some kind of a plan, then we more likely are going to fail. Because to think you're strong enough to resist at the last second, if you think you're strong enough to bust through that cape at the last second and get to what you need to get to? You think you're strong enough to do whatever you need to do at the last second to make it work? I doubt it. I doubt it. And that's where that kind of failure comes from. So we keep ourselves out of the situation. I mean, in 2 Timothy 2.4, no one that is involved in soldiering wants to get entangled when he needs to soldier. So you stay out of it. You stay out of it. And you don't put yourself in that position to begin with. Another uh, just principle I just want to share here. Uh, somebody look at Ecclesiastes 9.11. Ecclesiastes 
All right, thanks for reading that. And and this is a, a something that I think should speak to us, especially the opportunists that are in us, that, you know, it's the sure thing, that you see something, you see an opportunity, you, you look at the person like, this guy's a cheater, but, I mean, i got so much opportunity here to do something, whatever it is. And it could be something really good. It could be making lots of money. It could be whatever. I don't know. But you look at the opportunity and you get blinded by the opportunity. Because, wow, you know, this is such a great moment and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Now, I know this guy's a scumbag, but I'm going to go ahead and align with him because it's such a great opportunity. Well, this passage here talks about that. It's like the race isn't to the swift and the battle is not necessarily to the strong. And that's true. And you can read the rest of that. And, you know, brilliant are people that are brilliant aren't always rich, are they? Sometimes you, you see people, and, and I've seen people in the UFC or I've seen people boxing, and it's not always the strongest guy that wins. So the battle doesn't always go to the strong, and, and the race doesn't always go to the most swift of the people that are in the race. So... You look at it and it's like, well, I see the opportunity, but that's not a guarantee. You look at the opportunity and you say, well, don't get blinded by that because it may not ever happen. See, we're better off looking at our alliance. We're better off staying out of the circumstance than being blinded by some supposed maybe, could be, might happen. It's a great, oh, it's worth the chance. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not worth it. And so that needs to be a point of wisdom for us. So then you think about Jehoshaphat and Ahab. I mean, Ahab, and I'm going to ruin the story here because I'm going to tell you what happens, but Ahab goes out in the battle. They go anyway. All right, Micaiah says what he needs to say. They go anyway. So Ahab goes out in the battle in full armor. He gets killed. Jehoshaphat goes out in the battle in flowing robes, and he doesn't get killed. Because there were two different purposes going on there, two different things going on there, and that whole that whole concept of the 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 battle goes to the strong. Well, Ahab had the armor on; he looked the part. He was the fighting king. He got killed. Jehoshaphat was the flowing robe kind of guy, not really the fighting king, but he didn't get killed. Time and chance happened to us all. So, Micaiah has a vision of heaven. And in his vision of heaven, he talks about all the hosts. Now, when it talks about the hosts of heaven, that's not a guy in a tuxedo. Alright? Yeah, I mean, because we use the word that way. You know, if you're like, who's the host? I mean, it's the guy that, you know, is showing you your table or something. But, the Mater D. But that's not what he's talking about. It's like the hosts of heaven. When, when the when the Bible talks about the heavenly hosts, it's talking about the armies of heaven. That's what it's talking about. And so modern versions will change it to armies of heaven, usually. Like the Lord of hosts. In the Bible, you read that all over the, the Old Testament. The Lord of heaven's armies is what that means. You know, the heavenly host in, in the New Testament 
when Jesus was born, and it says the heavenly hosts and the shepherds, and, and they appeared, that's the armies of heaven. I mean, it gives you a different perspective. It gives you a different feel than thinking a bunch of guys in tuxedos. And so you want to begin to change some of that, depending on what version of the Bible you read. But begin to change some of that perspective. Begin to change some of the way that you see that. And so uh, Micaiah has this vision of heaven. And it's all the hosts, all the armies of heaven. And he said, the Lord was sitting on a throne. And there were armies to the left of him and armies to the right of him. And they were having a discussion. They were having a strategy. Now this may seem weird, for us to think about heaven this way. It may be weird to think, of, think about the spiritual realm this way. It may be weird for us to think about angels and interactions that take place between God the Father and angels. It may be weird for us to think about uh, God the Father leading the angels into discussions about strategy. That seems weird, right? And yet that's what's going on. And this is one of those glimpses we get into the heavenly realms, one of those, those glimpses we get into the spiritual realm where you can see what's going on. And, and you don't want to ignore it because we don't get that many glimpses into how things work. We don't really get that many glimpses into how things take place. Now, there are a few in the Bible. We'll look at a, a few here. But we want to pay attention when you get that glimpse. We want to pay attention when you see that. And I want you to just keep in your, your head a discussion, the idea of discussion. I want you to keep that in your head. Because the way that God chooses to operate, why does He choose to operate this way? I don't know. I could guess, but I don't really know. That's His choice. But He chooses to operate in such a way that He engages us in discussion. He engages His angels in discussion. And, and I think that's important because I think there's, there's learning and teaching going on with that. I think that there's, that in a lot of ways, that is how we learn. That's how we grow. And so to see it that way and to understand it that way is to under, better understand how God works. Now, God could have just called one of them out and said, go do this. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he, he posed a question. Instead, he presented a problem. A challenge. And he said, how are we going to solve this? What are we going to do about it? And so he took some suggestions. Angel said this. Angel said that. And, and not only did he want to suggest, he wanted to know, well, how is it going to happen? So in other words, who's going to do it and how are you going to go about it? Those are the questions that he had. And so, step forward. I'll do it. This is how I'm going to do it. Who else? I'll do it. This is how I'm going to do it. Who else? I'll do it. This is how I'm going to do it. All right. Discussion. Okay, so keep that in mind right now. Somebody look at Isaiah. Book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Verses 1 through 5. Somebody read that. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe 
filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the things of the Lord Almighty. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, if you if you look into the New Testament the Gospel of John, it, it, it talks about the scene in Isaiah, and it talks about how Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus. So it, you got to understand this as he is looking at Isaiah, is looking at not realizing it, but he's seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. He's seeing the Word of God. But look at the scene, and there's a throne, and there's a train, and then we get some new information. These weird-sounding seraphim. Don't they sound weird? No, I mean that. You know, they got weird wings, and covering things, and flying with things, and, you know, I know we got our ideas about what the spiritual realm looks like, but it sounds a little weirder than probably what we think. And, and, you know, because in art, because most of our visuals of the spiritual realm is like Renaissance period art, you know? And so, it's like, angels look like babies with wings and stuff. I mean, it's just weird, right? So, that that's not accurate, just saying. I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but that's not really accurate. That's just, uh, you know, an artist's depiction of whatever they thought. I mean, most people, I mean, a lot of people in the Renaissance at the time, some people couldn't even read, and, and they weren't even allowed to read. And so, um, so they just took what they had. They had, uh, people make stained glass, they were trying to make pictures to help people understand, you had people painting, you know, whatever. So, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the reality is. And so you see in Isaiah, you see, okay, well, what do we have added? Isaiah has a vision. And so we see in his vision some similarities. There's a throne. There, there's, there's God on the throne. And then there's beings that are around God. There's seraphim. But, and he talks about what they're doing. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Flying around saying that. So we got that picture. Alright, somebody look at Acts. Book of Acts. We'll go to the New Testament. Book of Acts, chapter 7. Acts seven fifty six. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Alright. So, what do you have in this picture? Again, you have this vision of heaven. You've had, you have God on the throne, and then you have Jesus standing, standing at his right hand. Because Stephen is about to die. That's the guy having the vision. He's being stoned to death. He's the first martyr of the church. So he's being stoned to death, but before he dies, he gets a vision of heaven, and that's what he sees. That's what he shares. 
And so we have a glimpse of what he sees, a glimpse of the Father, a glimpse of Jesus, importantly to me, standing at his right side. Let's go to Revelation chapter 4, another New Testament verse. Revelation chapter 4. And verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Keep reading. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald that encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. Clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second looked like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each had four living creatures, each of the four living creatures had six wings, was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Alright. So, again, you have a guy, John, he has a vision. He's in the spirit. And that's why he sees, it's his view, this is what he is giving us, what he saw in the spiritual realm, what he saw in the heavenlies. So, another, okay, you got more creatures, right? Did you follow? You hear, you see more creatures, they're like weird looking, one's covered in eyes, alright, so you got that, those creatures covered in eyes, then you've got the four creatures that have different faces, and they're there. And so and then there's the 24 elders wearing crowns. And then, you, so, so you have this scene. You have this scene. That's what he sees. And so the only reason I, I really wanted to just look at some of these, and there's more. I just didn't hit every one of them. I just wanted to get a good sampling from Old Testament, New Testament, of people that had visions of heaven, of people that were caught up in the Spirit, of people that saw something that was going on. And to, to begin to open up our thought process, begin to open us up to a broader understanding of what that means. And maybe to lay aside some juvenile thoughts that we may have about what the spiritual realm looks like or what heaven looks like based on whatever it was we learned as a child. And maybe begin to let God mature that in us that there's something more to this. There's more going on. Because interestingly, as I was starting to talk about, the discussion is important. That God was having a discussion with those that were around the throne. Now, if you, if you add up all these visions together, there were seraphim, there were creatures with eyes all over them. There were other creatures that had different faces. There were the armies of heaven. All of these things, that's what surrounds the throne. That's what surrounds God. There's, there's a whole uh, community that's around Him that don't look like us. 
And that's okay. They don't need to look like us. And so whatever they are, and whatever they look like, and however they function, and whatever they do, I think what I'm, all I'm trying to say is, is that just be aware that there's more to this universe. There's more to this realm. There's more to what we believe and what we've been revealed and what's been revealed to us about the spiritual realm and about the heavenlies. There's more to it. Uh, we represent a very, 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 very kind of small group of people that have a hard time believing in the spiritual realm. You know, we travel all over the world and when we travel all over the world, man, we meet people all over the world. We talk to people all over. We minister to people all over the world. We do evangelism all over the world. And when I say all over the world, that's what I mean. And it is so rare to run into cultures and people that don't believe and don't have a given that the spiritual realm is real. We're, we're very, and I'll use the word weird about that. And, and that can be traced back to uh, a lot of different things. It can be traced back to a, you know, as, as far as a, a nation, where our nation is concerned, it can be traced back to kind of a, a weird Western European type heritage for a lot of us, uh, some of us. But that's just not the case everywhere. And, and I really have a lot of hope that as the demographics of this nation change, that some of our belief systems, some of the way that we see things will begin to change too. Because, uh, you know, I don't have to convince the people that we meet in West Africa that the spiritual realm is real. You know, I, I deal with people over there and we pray with people all the time over there that are afraid of what we would know as demons, but they would know as whatever they know them as, spirits or whatever, or gods or whatever they... They would know them as, and they're afraid. They live in fear of the priesthood. They live in fear of the fetish. They live in fear of things that we don't even think about. And yet, that's their reality. You know, you think of somewhere like uh, China. Well, China's communists. Well, sure. Or pseudo-communists, or whatever they are. But, you know, somehow, some way, they're supposed to, like, stamp out spiritual things. Well... The average person that we meet fully believes in spiritual things. We talk to people all the time. We pray with people all the time. I mean, them and their families and the people that we talk to, they, 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 don't, they, they take for granted the spiritual reality around them. And, and it just goes on and on. I mean, we talk about just, uh, different places that we've been, South America or Central America or wherever. There's a taking for granted that these things are just real. So, to have a better understanding of the spiritual realm around us as Christians, I think, is kind of important. I think it's just kind of important for us to get that and to have us a better grasp on what that looks like and what that means. And so, as, as the Lord was sitting on His throne, I'm going to get through this, as the Lord was sitting on His throne, he asked the question. He said, there's discretion, there's a strategy. Who's going to entice? Who's going to get Ahab to go to war? 
He's going to do it. Because God had a purpose behind that. He had a plan. His will. This is what He wanted done. And so, He had a purpose, He had a time, and He had a will. That's what God has. And so, He wants to see this happen. But instead of waving His hand and just making it happen, He asked those that were around Him, He said, so, who can do this, and how are you going to do it? And so they had to put on their thinking caps, their little spirit thinking caps, okay? And come up with a strategy. And so, if the Bible tells us that a spirit stepped forward. Now, I think it's interesting that it says a spirit, and literally that is the spirit stepped forward. So some spirit, some particular spirit stepped forward, not identified as an angel. It just says the spirit stepped forward. So some particular spirit stepped forward and came up with a plan, said, I'll do it. And so God said to that spirit, how are you going to do it? He says, well, I will become a lying spirit. In other words, I will become a spirit of falsehood in the mouths of all those prophets and I will go and convince him that he needs to go and do what he needs to do. Go to war. So it would be a spirit of falsehood to deceive and entice. Because they're the same word here. To deceive and entice Ahab to go to war. And so God heard the strategy. He's like, alright, that'll work. Go to it. Now what's interesting to me is the Spirit goes Himself to do that as a lying spirit into 400 prophets. Now, he's, he's bringing delusion. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that, he's, he's giving a picture of what Ahab wants to see happen. He's speaking words that Ahab wants to hear. But I want to say this, and, and I think this is important for you to understand. Ahab isn't just a, he isn't a victim here. And here's what I mean by that. Delusion comes only upon the person willing to be deluded. Period. And so if you're a person that you're willing to be deluded, now why would you want to be deluded? Because it's something you want to hear. Why are you willing to be deluded? Because it's something you want to see. It's what you want. It's what you want. And so you're willing to be deluded by that. Yeah, you know, I always go back to relationships when I when I think about this. Because you've all had those friends. All of you, probably. They really, really, really wanted a girlfriend or a boyfriend, right? And so they meet this person, and you you know them, you, the the person you know that wants the boyfriend or the girlfriend. They meet some person, and they get so excited about this person, and they tell you all about them. They're perfect. They're great. They're wonderful. They're the best. And they'll tell you how great and wonderful and awesome they are. And they go into it and then they into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you meet them. And you can't figure out what they're talking about. Anybody? You understand what I'm saying here? 
Like, you really wonder. It's like, what? What? This is the person? This is the one? This is the perfect individual? And, and, and to you, because you're not really being deluded, you look at the person and you're like, I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what they're talking about. Well, that's because you're not putting yourself in a position to be deluded. So you're not. But they want to be deluded. Because they want what they want. So we need to be careful what we allow to run away in our heads, what we allow to run away in our hearts, and what we allow to run away in our spirits. Because by doing so, we open ourselves up to delusion. And most of it's just in us. I'm not saying there's a, a spirit being sent from heaven to delude us. That I think most of it's just in us. Ahab just wanted to go to war. He thought that there was a possibility for victory if he and Jehoshaphat teamed up and he could see the riches and he could see the power and he could see the lands and he could see the people and he could see the livestock and he could see all the things that were in front of him. And those are the things that he wanted. And so, with 400 prophets saying, go and do it, that's what he wanted to hear. Because that's what he wanted. That was his, He was willing to be deluded. He had a chance not to be right. Micaiah told him the truth, didn't he? He could have made a different decision because he knew Micaiah was a good prophet. And he could have made a different decision. He could have said, okay, alright, so we got this word here. I know I got 400 prophets over here telling me one right here, but I got this guy that I know speaks the truth. I'm going to listen to him and I'm not going to do it. He could have done that. But he wanted to be deluded. Do you see? Do you see the problem? The problem isn't so much what's outside of us. The problem is what's in us. The problem is what's in our heart, what's in our mind. The things that we're lusting after, the things that, that, that we desire. Those are the problems. When they take on an inordinate place in our lives, they put us in a position of delusion. Somebody look at Second uh, Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, 12, and 13. Alright, thanks. And you can read the reason that he gives before that, but kind of interesting that that delusion has more to do with them, if you read it. It has more to do with the people he's talking about than it does anything else, at least as far as I understand it. And so something has to be hatched in us first to put us in a position. 
Something has to be born in us first that we want something so bad that we will allow ourselves and we will enter into a delusion. And that's part of the problem. That's why it's important that we guard our hearts. That's why it's important that we guard our minds. We guard our spirit. Somebody look at Romans 1, 28. Romans 1, 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. All right, interestingly in that verse, God gave them over to do exactly what they wanted to do. He gave them over. Whose mind? Their mind. So, being given over to our mind, that's what matters what we're dwelling on. It's what matters what we're lusting after. What matters about what we're allowing to consume our thoughts and consume our lives. That's why it matters. 1 Timothy 4.1 So, what's the, what's the start of that? You abandon what? You abandon the faith. And then what happens? All kinds of bad stuff. All kinds of bad stuff. And so it's what you're going to pay attention to. Am I going to pay attention to the faith? Am I going to pay attention to to God? Am I going to pay attention to what matters? Or am I going to abandon that and start paying attention to other stuff? If you're going to abandon what God has, and you're going to abandon what He has for your life, then you're going to start paying attention to other things. And those things happen to be doctrines of demons. Those things happen to be things that are evil. Those things happen to be things that bring destruction onto our lives. So I, I want to just look at those verses because I think that we need to really get it set in our hearts, set in our minds that, that delusion is something that starts with us. Delusion is something that comes from and, and really begins and is birthed in us. Because we put ourselves in a position that we want to be deluded. That we want to you know, have whatever we want to have. And so we will allow ourselves to be fooled to believe it. And so, again, I already ruined the story. So they go out, Ahab and Jehoshaphat, they go out, they go to battle following after the 400 prophets, the delusion that Ahab wanted to believe, they go out and Ahab gets killed. And when it comes right down to it, that was the whole purpose, that was the will, that was the time that God had for Ahab. Now if you look at the life of Ahab, and he reigned for a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of years. God was super patient with that guy. He just was. He was super patient with him. He was super patient with the kingdom. 
He was super patient with everything that was going on in that guy's life. That guy just didn't really care about God. And so there just came a point, it was a fulfillment of time, a fulfillment of purpose, and it was just Ahab's time. And I'll tell you a little secret, when it's my time, it's my time. When it's your time, it's your time, when it, you know, that's just how it is. And and all we have here is just a little different shift in perspective, because we understand how Ahab's time came to pass. We see the discussion, we see the strategy, and we see what happened. The real lesson that we get from this is that, and I believe this is the main lesson that we should get from this, is that we need to be careful. What we allow to consume our hearts, consume our minds. We need to be careful of our alliances. We need to be careful of uh, the people that we, we come into relationship with. We need to be careful what we dwell on. We need to be careful of of the things we allow to occupy our brain space over periods of time. I don't know about you, but living under delusion is terrible. It makes me feel crazy. It makes me feel crazy. Because when reality shines through that delusion, it's uncomfortable. That is uncomfortable. But ultimately, it's just better to stay there. To not allow for the delusion. To not give space for it. To not give opportunity for it. And to just live in truth and simplicity. To be a people of a certain level of discipline in our lives, mentally and spiritually. To avoid it from the start. Take a few moments. I'm just going to pray. And uh, came in way under two hours again. <laughs> way under. We're just going to pray, and uh, I just uh, encourage you to say what you need to to God. Because maybe you've been entertained some things, or maybe you're fighting, entertaining things in your life right now. And I just believe God can set us free. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would teach us a discipline about our thoughts and about our lives that would keep our minds and help us to keep our minds from running away into fantasy and into thoughts that would open us up to delusion. Because <coughs> I ask you, God, that, that we would be... Um, just willing to live in your truth and willing to live in a simplicity in our lives. A simplicity of faith. A simplicity of trust. A simplicity that knows that you know our needs and our wants and that you care. I just pray that tonight you would set people free in their hearts and in their minds, in their spirits, from delusion and from lies, from lust, from obsession. 
And I pray, God, a satisfaction that we can find in you. And I pray we'd find that satisfaction in you. God, I thank you for glimpses into where you are, into that realm, and glimpses and understanding better how you go about things, and glimpses and understanding better that there's a whole universe that that exists, and it's all around us right now. And I pray that we could find a peace and a rest in that universe. as a people of flesh and as a people of spirit. Expand our minds to see things bigger. To be willing to experience things that we've never experienced before. To allow for revelation in our life. To allow for spiritual encounters to allow God for spiritual realities that we could never even think of. But I ask God that there would be more of a revelation in our lives of the heavenlies, more of a revelation of you in our lives, more, God, of a revelation of the spiritual realm. I pray you just be open to what you want to show us and what you want to do in our lives. Give you thanks tonight. You're so good to us. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for your plans and your purposes, your will and your time. Thanks. I pray, God, that we would find ourselves ultimately satisfied in you. We give you thanks and praise tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's be by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 